Happy Pentecost. On this Sunday every year, we celebrate together the birthday of the church. Um, but this past week, we also celebrated the birthday of a person who was really special to this specific church, Pastor Wayne Hunter. And so, you know, like that's a whole lot of awesomeness like packed into one little week. And so I feel like there's only one proper way to celebrate in light of all that. And that is with a Pentecost joke worthy of Wayne Hunter. Um, if you are new to the Greenwood campus and are not familiar with who Wayne is, uh, Wayne would stand before us each Sunday and let's just say delight. Is that a fair word for my Greenwood people? Delight us with bad jokes that he told really well. That's the only way I could describe it to you guys. Uh, but I recently learned in his defense that the, stack, the, the cards were really stacked against him when he told these jokes to us. There was a survey done that asked Christians how many of them found clergy people, pastors, funny. Does anybody want to guess what the percentage was? Anyone? Zero. Zero. That's really close. Ten percent. Okay. What? Five percent? Two percent. And you all know that some of that 2% were nice, sweet little people who were saying bless their hearts and just said yes, trying to help us feel better, all right? So, uh, 2%, not good, bless our hearts, we try and obviously fail like a whole, whole, whole lot. But today, out of celebration of this big day in the life of the church and out of love for our friend Wayne Hunter, I joined the ranks of unfunny pastors to tell you this Pentecost joke. Are you ready for it? What kind of car did the apostles drive? Any, a Honda. Because when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one accord. Ah, yeah. Yeah, it's really bad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But that's indeed what the Bible says, you know, on the day when the Holy Spirit was first poured out on all of God's people. Um, in the King James Version, it puts it like this. It tells us, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with one accord in one place. By the way, I also recently learned that, that Jesus evidently drove an accord. And this meme tells us why we never heard about this. because he didn't speak of his own accord. Okay, so that one's even worse, and we should have stopped with the first one. But, okay, moving on. That was kind of boo. That was good. Wayne would be proud of that boo uh, in the room. Uh, but um, on that first Pentecost, you know, what we need to realize is that something happened that had never happened before. Before that day, when, when the God's Spirit was poured out on the disciples who were gathered together in one accord, before that day, the Holy Spirit was only poured out on particular people in particular places for particular purposes, not on everyone. As you read throughout the Old Testament, you learn how the Holy Spirit would come upon an individual as God gave them a certain task to do at a specific place or a specific point in time, you know, for them to perhaps prophesy or proclaim or to assume a position of leadership. But on that day of Pentecost, 50 days after Easter, when Jesus was risen from the dead, on that day, the day that the prophet Joel had been looking forward to for hundreds of years finally arrived. The day on which God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. On this day, when the disciples were together in one accord, this prophecy was fulfilled as the Holy Spirit came upon them with wind and fire. And what was the result? The result was, was a people that was a picture of what being one accord truly looks like. 3,000 people were added to their number that day in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 that Carla read for us. It, it, it gives us this description of this new community that was born, the church. Listen again to uh, some of those descriptions. Acts says that the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were filled with awe. They were together and had everything in common, selling all of their property and possessions to give to those in need. It says they met together. They ate together. They praised God together. All of them were of one heart and one mind, it said, and God's grace was powerfully at work through them all. Did you hear all of the togethers and common and alls that are woven throughout those passages? As the Holy Spirit came upon this group of people, there was this oneness amongst the believers who were following Jesus. Now, it's been like 2,000 years um, since that happened. And as we hear that story and we read it anew, I think it's really easy for us to hear it and say, well, wasn't that nice, right? You know, kind of dismissing it essentially as this fanciful fairy tale, this romanticized, idealistic, sweet little story that happened in the Bible way back then, but that could not possibly happen here and now in our real life. We might reason, yeah, you know, well, back then things were different. Back then, things weren't so tense and divided. Back then, it was easier for people to come together. It was easier for people to be of one accord. Now, there's just so many different things that divide people from one another. But here's what we need to realize. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it happened during a deeply tense and divided time. The Jewish people had literally been divided up and dispersed throughout the known world. They called this reality of living away from, from Israel, their homeland, the diaspora. And, and this had actually started like 500 years before Jesus was even born. You know, as they were, um, first of all, conquered by a great empire called Babylon, what happens is this big power comes in and God's people are carried away from their land, the land that God had given to them. They're taken away from, from their temple, the very place where God's presence is believed to dwell with them, and they are carried away into exile. And then after that, it's just more of the same. You know, it, it just keeps playing out over and over and over again, forward past the time of Jesus as all of these stronger and more mighty powers come along and overrun them and divide them even further. After the Babylonians comes the Persians, and after the Persians come the Greeks, and after the Greeks come the Romans. And while some of these Jewish people who have been scattered out all over the known world will eventually make their way back to Israel, a large number of them, hundreds of thousands of them, will continue to just be scattered about. 
The Greek philosopher and historian Strabo, who, whose life would have actually overlapped with Jesus, he, he talked about this. He talked about how um, the Jewish people, he says, this people have already, they've already made their way into every city, and it is not easy to find a place in the habitable world where their presence isn't felt. And so there were indeed these, these forces at work to keep the people of God separate. There were these forces at work to keep the people of God cut off. There were these forces at work to keep God's people disconnected and divided from God and from each other and from their sense of identity and purpose. But festivals like Pentecost were one of those, those few times each year where some of the people who lived, lived out in the known world would try to make their way back to Jerusalem for worship. And Acts tells us on the day that when the church were born, that there were actually people from all of these different places present. It kind of charts it out for us on this map. You see like all these different places where people had come from that were standing there when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples. And so there were all these people that had been divided and dispersed. There were all of these people that had been shaped by different places and cultures and customs. There were all these people who spoke different languages. There were all these people that, that had been trying to figure out what it looks like to faithfully follow God away from their homeland. There were all these people that had all these different things that divided them. But when the Holy Spirit was poured out, God brought them back together. And as he does that, he doesn't suddenly just make them all the same. But rather what happens is he brings them into one accord. It's a musical image. It's the idea of all kinds of different notes being played all at once, which can sound disastrous when I go over to a piano and try to do that. But it's the idea of all these notes being able to be played at the same time, but somehow be able to harmonize in pitch and tone. It is a picture of all kinds of different instruments being played together to form a great concert. But that doesn't just happen, does it? It happens because it's under the, the direction of a concert master. And that's who the Holy Spirit was for that group of people and who it is for us the Holy Spirit brought all those different notes. He brought all those different instruments. He brought all those different people from all over together on that first Pentecost to form this sweet, sweet sound. He brought them together to form a people of one accord. And if the Holy Spirit can do that in the midst of that tense and divided time, then why not now? It's tempting to dismiss the description of the early church as this fanciful fairy tale. But in reality, it is a picture. It is a picture of what is possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, on the other extreme, I think instead of, instead of looking at that account and making it into a fanciful fairy tale and just kind of being like, that can never happen, we kind of go to the other extreme and we want to make it into this fast formula, right? We look at what's described there and we say, we want this, right? We want this oneness in the early, the, the early church. And so we just need to do exactly what they did. You know, they fellowship together, so we just need to fellowship together more and better. They broke bread together, so we're going to break bread like people have never broke bread before. They prayed together, so we're just going to pray together like, like people haven't passed or present. 
And we kind of like check these things off on a checklist. Now, all those things are good, right? They're important actions. It's important for us to fellowship and to break bread, especially break bread. That's the one that's very important to me, for us to break bread and to pray together. But here's what we need to recognize. You and I, we can perfectly execute all the parts of this formula without the actual power that makes them effective. Um, This past week, Jeremy and I went on a great adventure, didn't we, Jeremy? We took our children to the Great Wolf Lodge in the Cincinnati area. Who else has been to the Great Wolf Lodge? It is a magical experience for the children. (laughs) And as they get older, I'm sure it becomes more and more of a magical experience for the parents. Uh, But it was kind of exhausting. But it was great. You know, the the boys loved it. But it's like so many places these days. I know they do this at Disney, too. Like you walk in and you check in and they give you this wristband. And it's, it's a pretty important wristband, you know, because not only does it tell everyone, hey, this person is supposed to be here, but it gives you the power to do all the things. You know, you use this wristband to get your towels as you go to the water park. You use this wristband to buy things at the store or the restaurant. You use this wristband to get into your room. So it's a pretty powerful thing. Um, And when I was checking this in, you know, they asked, like, who in your party needs these? And so I got one for Jeremy. I got, even though I wasn't sure he needed that power, but I got one for Jeremy. I got one for me. And I got one for Lincoln, like, just in case, you know. I didn't tell him what kind of power he had, but he had one. Um, And and then they said, well, what about your youngest son? And I'm like, oh, no, Sam doesn't need one. He's just three, right? So Sam just got this wristband. It didn't have the little special chip in it that made it powerful. I thought that it made sense, right? Because Sam doesn't need to check out towels or go to the room by himself. But, of course, it was a big mistake because as a three-year-old, what is his favorite phrase? Like, I do it myself, right? And so every time we would go to our room, it would take us five minutes longer to get through the door because we would walk up and he had his band and he would say, I do it. And so he would stand there over and over going through the motions, right, of trying to get into the room. And no matter how many times we told him that his wristband did not have the special chip in it, he wasn't hearing it, right? He was going through the motions. He knew the formula to get him into the door, but he didn't have the power to do it on his own. And so often, I think that, that we try to, I do it myself, oneness in, the, the, in our church. You know, we try to recover what the early church had by, by just trying really, really hard By trying to take like that description and copying it and pasting it right into today, making it into this fast formula, forgetting all the while that it was actually God and his power that made that community of one accord possible. All those actions that we read about, they're not the cause of this community that was formed, but rather they were, were the response to what God had done among them as he poured out his spirit. The story of the early church, it is not a fast formula to oneness. Again, it is a picture, a picture of what is possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. In a time when you and I have lived through a global pandemic that has claimed the lives of over 6 million people and has somehow pulled us apart rather than bringing us together, in a time where there's war in Europe, in a, in a time where there's 
seemingly accounts of gun violence almost every day. You know, it was a grocery store and a school, and this last week it's been a hospital and a church. In a time where our own denomination has decided that it can't stay together, that it needs to define, divide, and, and separate, I think it's very easy for some of us in this kind of moment to, to just have given up on ever experiencing the type of community that is described there in the book of Acts. But the story of the early church birthed in the midst of a very tense and divided time reminds us that God is bigger than all of our deepest divisions. Now, others of us in the room, we might find ourselves trying really hard and doing everything that we can to recreate this kind of oneness against all the odds. But the story of the early church reminds us that we can't do it by ourselves. Being of one accord, it starts with something that does not come easy to any of us. Maybe I should say many of us, but I think it's probably any of us. It starts with us admitting that we can't do it and asking for help beyond ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit that comes in wind and fire. We need the Holy Spirit that blows where it blows and that burns as it desires. We need the Holy Spirit that exceeds our expectations and that is far, far, far beyond our control. In a world in which people are far from God and each other, we need the Holy Spirit to bring us closer, closer to Him and closer to one another. But you guys know how this works, right? Like, not only do we have to be willing to admit and ask for help, we have to actually accept the help when it comes to us, right? Um, I'm an expert on this. Jeremy's going to nod his head and say this is an accurate description. Um, if I ever come to you and I ask you for help, you can know that I have played out every scenario in my mind and have not been able to figure out how to do it myself and that that is a last resort, okay? It's a growing edge for me to just ask someone to help me. But even when I've worked through all that and I've actually, you know, humbled myself enough to say like, hey, will you help me with this? Um, sometimes, you know, I even then won't take the help that I have asked for. So, for example, at home when something needs to be fixed or back on that computer with the, the ProPresenter program that I think is Satan himself some Sunday mornings, you know, and I, I'm struggling and I decide like, hey, Jeremy, will you help me with this? And then Jeremy comes to help me. He starts trying to fix the thing, or he starts trying to put, the, put whatever it is I'm doing into ProPresenter. Um, and as I'm watching him, maybe I don't particularly like the way that he's fixing it, <laughs> if I'm honest. Or he's not doing it, you know, in the time frame that I wish that he would get it done in. And so I just, like, kind of jump in, and I take over, and I say, like, I got it, right? Like, I'll take care of it. Just go on. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand today, but I have a feeling that I'm not alone in this, okay? Um, but, you know, we do. <laughs> oh, don't raise other people's hands. That's not good. That's really bad. That's really bad. Uh, <laughs> we, we do this with the Holy Spirit, you know? Like, we can ask the Holy Spirit to come and to make us into a community of one accord. But here's my question. What might we need to shed? in order to, to be open to whatever it is that the Holy Spirit wants to do among us. 
You know, what is it that might get in the way of us accepting the help that he's trying to give to us? You know, maybe we need to shed our skepticism that that transformation is really possible. Maybe we need to shed our complacency of things just being good enough or, or our fear that openness might bring change of some sort. Maybe we need to shed our certainty that we've already got it all figured out and nailed down. Perhaps we need to shed our need for that tight control or our, our preferred timeline and plans that we wish that everyone else would just jump on board with. But what is it? What is it that we might need to release today so that our hearts and hands and lives can be open and ready for whenever the Spirit moves among us? I kind of feel like um, I'm hitting that age where I'm becoming my parents. You all, have you all, you know, gone through that stage where you're like, oh man, like I said I would never do that like my mom or my dad. Uh, my dad is a storyteller and he likes to tell the same stories over and over and over again. And um, I, I find myself doing the same thing. So sorry you are about to be subjected to this, but um, great stories are meant to be told more than once. And this is our story. It's a story that I never want us to forget as a people here at the Greenwood campus. You know, we are sitting here today because there were two groups of people that were open to the Holy Spirit. We're sitting here today because Greenwood United Methodist Church recognized that this was a growing part of our community and wanted to reach the people that were moving to this part of town. And they were willing to shed everything, everything to make that possible. You know, the way that their church looked, their preferred style of worship, the name outside. And at the same time, across town, Broadway UMC, they were looking for a way to welcome more people into the family of God, just like Greenwood UMC was. And they had two options before them. The two options were to stay where they were, you know, just keep doing what they were doing right then um, in their very landlocked campus, or to sell their campus and to go and to build somewhere else. Those were the two things that they had on the table. And they did all the research, but then they came before God and they were able to say, like, what do you want us to do? You know, lots of people had their preferences. I'm told that Pastor Rick Bard, who was our leader then, that he was 99% sure we were going to sell that building at the Melrose campus and move to another place. But as they shed all of those expectations and were open to whatever direction God wanted to guide them in, this new opportunity came before them, this new opportunity to merge with Greenwood UMC and to do something that that neither place had ever done before, that few people were doing at the time. You know, multi-site wasn't something that there was tons of research on and that you knew, like, exactly how to do it and how it was going to turn out. But both churches were willing to take that chance, trusting that the Holy Spirit was guiding them in that moment. And now, 15 years later, we are sitting here in this room experiencing the richness of the community that was born because of this, what I think is fair to, to call a Pentecost moment that these two churches experienced together. This Pentecost moment that, that brought them into this one accord. And it just makes me wonder, you know, what, what might God want to do through us, through our oneness today? It is hard to ask for help. It's even harder to accept it but I want to remind us why it is worth it. It is worth it because there are still more people who need to be welcomed into the family of God. 
It is worth it because there are still more people who need to know that they are loved and embraced by Jesus just like we are. And our being of one accord through the power of the Holy Spirit is one of our most powerful witnesses to the watching world. In fact, Acts 2, it talks about this. It talks about how the natural result of this oneness of this community that was formed by God was that God was adding to their number daily those that were being saved. And so I want us to keep that why in focus as we come before God today. We're going to We're going to break some bread together like the early church did in a few moments. But before we come to this table that Jesus himself has set for us, I want to lead us in a time of confession. If if you're willing, I'd like for you to um, just go ahead and close your eyes and place your hands, palms up in your lap. And I'm going to guide us in these next few moments. Lord God, we come before you today in awe of your power in all of your great love for us that would send your Holy Spirit to be with us and to guide us and to empower us, your Holy Spirit that unites us together and makes us as one. Lord God, we come before you today asking for your help, asking for you to do what only you can do among us, for you to make us a people who are of one heart and one soul, a people who are of one accord, not just for the joy that that brings to us, but but more so, God, for the world around us who also need to experience that kind of community with you at the center as well. And so, God, as we come asking for help today, we just take a moment to recognize anything that that we might need to shed, that might be standing in the way of us being open to to what it is that, that you might want to do in and among us as a people. I'm going to give you all just a few moments of silence to, to perhaps name what that might be for you today before God, to kind of imagine it sitting there in your hands, feeling the weight of it. And now I'd like to invite you to turn your hands over as a way of of symbolizing us shedding that, releasing that to God. And now let me invite you to turn your hands back up once more, now open and free to receive as we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful And kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created. And you shall renew the face of your earth. O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful by the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Each time we come to this table, we remember how Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, makes us one. We eat of one loaf, we drink of one cup, and we remember that we are one people. And so would you remember with me that on the night that Jesus gave himself up for us, he took the bread, 
and he gave thanks to the Father. And then he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body given for you. And then when the supper was over, he took the cup. And he once again gave thanks to the Father. And then he gave it to all his disciples saying, take, drink, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink from it, do this in remembrance of me. As those who are assisting this morning come forward at this time, would you pray with me, please? Lord God, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until that day when Christ returns in final victory and we feast together at his heavenly banquet. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll be receiving communion by intinction today. And so as you come, take a piece of the bread, dip it into the cup, and then receive it. If you need gluten-free elements, they're available here. We'll start on this side of the room and then kind of go over uh, through each section. If you'd like to pray today, the altar rails are always open. But would you come now and receive this gift of grace?